and welcome to the Compassionate Achiever Podcast. I'm Tracy Day. I'm here with my co-host, da-da-da, Dr. Chris Cook. Thank you. Whoa, da-da-da. Da-da-da. You know, drum drum roll. roll, too. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks, Tracy. Well, you looked a little down when you came in, and you said you having one of those days so I thought maybe a drum roll would yeah just, just <laughs> do it for you what thanks you, you know coming in seeing you Pete and Scott <laughs> it's always uh, how do I put this an adventure so <laughs> yes. right, it gets me right out of whatever I'm in if I'm in a bad mood it gets me out of it if I'm in a good mood it gets me out gets of it right out of that too <laughs> it'll right I have to focus because I have to go through the whitewater rapids of Tracy Pete and Scott so yes. yeah you know you, you got to come alive uh, right here we are I haven't been able again. to run today Oh, well, see, see and that's the problem. Got the staples out of the back. Oh, right? is that and feeling so better? It is. It is. It's just, uh, you know, it's a little oozy. So I just have to, I have to take it a little slow and TMI. So, well, you know, it's, but now we can go back to hugging you again. (laughs) Some people took lynchy Somebody forgot you all the first day. I was was doing the Heisman trophy move. I was like, (laughs) (laughs) that's what, that's what my husband always said. I started off when we started dating, he would go in to kiss me in like public places and I would definitely do the Heisman. <laughs> no PDA. Dang. And, and you know, Scott's a big guy. So. Uh, he's a big guy. I know. That, was, I that know. was pretty impressive on your part. Yeah. Right? But now I'm over it. Now I'm all about PDA. So how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great. Really good. Just, you know, one of those crazy weeks that just trying to get stuff done, get organized, like everyone else's life. You know, I, don't you love that when you say, you talk to people and they're like, oh, I'm so busy. Everybody's busy. Everybody's Everybody got Everybody is busy. And, you know, I kind of think it's a good thing now to not be busy. I kind of like to say, you know, and when people are like, oh, is your life crazy? I'm like, no, because if you kind of get on that mindset mm-hmm. that you're on this rat race, then you tend to think of yourself we, on the rat race. The cooks, we actually plan this in. So it's guaranteed every weekend, right? And the, we have a movie Downtime. night. Oh, big time. We, we See, just that's so good. sit and chill. Right? Yes. And not even plan anything. Just like leave an open, wide Lock open space. Time. Wide open. Yeah. Like big time. Not like at two hours. Like I'm talking like a day, right? At least, right? And then another half a day. Every week, just us. And we don't even plan anything. We just see what happens. Right? See and, where it goes. Right. And the kids sometimes just run outside like old school, like what I used to do, and you figure out what you're going to do. Yeah. Um, and that makes all the difference in the world. I think just reconnecting. It's just, it's because we I, can get just overwhelmed. And you so can. Many. And then you lose sight of all of the things that are really important. Yeah, and have life. meaning. Have meaning in your life. And you, you can kind of, like I said, you get in this mentality of if you're not go, 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 going, then you're not being productive. And they have proven, I'm sure that you have like all kinds of things that you can quote about this, but you know, the they's, I just <laughs> use they have proven, but people need downtime. Yes. And, and it also depends on your personality. We did this test uh, before, I forget what it was, but it was about your personality type. And there are, you know, kind of basically, for lack of a better term, the turtles in life that just need to just kind of go mm-hmm. slowly and and this is not any cut in any of them. I mean, they're all right, it's they, just different ways. It's of living. just different ways of yep. living. And then there's the people that are just the overachievers that have to be doing 29 things at once, Scott. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and he does it well. And yeah. he can function in life like that. 
And I am like the combination. There's actually four. I forget. There's like the really slow, the total overachiever. I'm the one. There's a, a fourth one. But anyway, I'm the one that I just like go, 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 go. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, okay, I got to take a break. I can't. <laughs> like, I can't. Um, where do you think you fall in that oh, category? Boy. I, You're the go, 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 go. Right? No comment. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I think I, I No, and it's I think not I critical. Would. I think no, it's I, not critical. I would put myself in there. And I'd like to have that that change and a bunch of things going on at the same time. And, and, and you thrive on that. Yeah, I like not knowing how it's all going to work out. Right. I like that. I, it calms me, actually. I, That's what I'm saying. That This is like people's personality, how they really would thrive. Everybody is thrown into some of the other ones, you know, not by choice, but if you had to live your life and yep. and be thriving, you know, at 100%, this is how you would and do it. And in our town, where uh, a 55-year-old woman was a hit and run, she died uh, recently. In, in our, I did not hear that. In our town, so it was yesterday. <gasps> and, and Ellie, because you know I run on the roads all the time here. Oh, right? they're we, terrible. We've talked about it, right, because everyone's looking at their cell phone. Everyone's looking down and they're not looking where they're driving. And so Ellie is all worried, you know, that look what happened, you know, and so I'm worried about you, you know, going out on the roads and putting mileage on. And, and so, you know, for me, it's, I, I, you know, I have this pr- perspective that it's going to be my time when it's my time and I'm not, yeah, it's not going right. to, I, I want to live my life out loud. I want to, mm-hmm. I want to have fun. I want to enjoy. I want to do things that have meaning. Uh, to it, and one of the things that does that for me is running. And is running. I don't think I could run on a treadmill ten miles. No, I know. <laughs> but you right? have to. But I totally agree with that. That I have that same view. That uh, I do believe when my time is up, it's already predestined and all that kind of thing. But there are things that you have to do to protect yourself too. And I know Scott. He used to um, ride bikes and. Brookfield is terrible. It's the same kind of thing as riding a bike and running on those roads. They're curvy, they're yeah. windy, they're hilly. So be careful. Yeah, well, I make sure when Just I'm running, I look off to the left because that's where I jump. You know, and yeah. basically twice a week. Um, you have to jump? I'm jumping. Really? I'm jumping off to the side, yeah. There's someone that doesn't see me, so they're literally, they hit the curve. Mm-hmm. Right? And so I'm be- right before the curve, so you have to jump. Otherwise, you're going to get a tire or a mm. fender. Uh, in that way, and I'm wearing the, the do you wear reflective, like reflective vest, things and, like, and if I'm doing good. it in the late afternoon, I also have a flashlight. I, I smart wrap around my my torso, yeah, uh, and I turn that on. And but I'm going to tell you, I don't know if that helps that much. Yeah, because you, <laughs> exactly. I mean, if people are looking down, right. regardless of whether matter. there's a giant light up there or not, right? They look up. Maybe I'm a target now. Right. 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 <laughs> like right. A moving target. But it's you know it, it, you know I. I need it, and I feel better when I when I got that going on. And I got to tell you, what else is also the students. The students just make everything better as well. Uh, we've got we've got crazy great students who are a lot of first generation at this university, and their work ethic is Western Connecticut on. State University. Yes, just for those that did not realize WestCon is best con. WestCon is best con, and it's it's amazing that in terms of what they do. And what they want to do, and even with their personnel, it, helping each other. When I when I go into the honors house and see them, they're 
they give meaning to life too because a lot of these right you hear the millennials are out for themselves and it, it is so see, not, I disagree that with is that. so not true and when you just step in that house and you can see these students doing amazing stuff it's just for each other mm-hmm. and that that just you know gets me gets me and going. it's infectious it is don't you think it is and when that, you're around people like that right. that um are are doing good things for other people makes you want to do that yes i think right and you know what's funny though but the conversations they have too and, and you know they'll throw me sometimes it's very much like you under, under the, the bus, bus. <laughs> yes <laughs> i i'm gonna just go out on a limb and say i'm not gonna do it today. i'm just not well, okay we're gonna break from the norm but what's not. really interesting is and a number of people have asked me this too is like how do you get through it how do you get yourself compassion right how do you get yourself motivated and we brought up you know, many people know I love the script and right. But there's also poems, right? And this poem Invictus that I absolutely love, right? And it oh, starts out of the night that covers me black as a pit from pole to pole. I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. Under the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the plungings of chance, my head is bloodied, but I'm bowed. And it goes on. But it's about... Okay, we're going to have to tell Pete to like, and Scott, to slow that down. <laughs> so I was like, whoa, what, what? But that's... It, to me, it's one of those amazing poems that no matter what you believe and no matter what faith you have, you have it within you, right? And even if you don't have faith, if you, if you don't believe in a higher power, right? That, you know, and it's that idea that you have power within yourself to change how the world and how you're perceiving the world mm-hmm. in front of you. So, you know, we're ha- I'm having one of those days, but you know, yeah, you get down, but you have the choice to either stay down or get yourself back up. Yep. And there are people also, you know, for me, that gets me up is there's people depending upon me, mm-hmm. right? And that I use as a motivating force, right? My, my youngest, youngest son is going through some health issues right now, and, and you know, he can't. I, I joke around with him all the time right now, even when you're down, right? Cause, and, and it's funny because he gets me up because I know I have to, you know, be, be there for, for him, him right. right? And so it gets me up because now I've got to, I realize I opened my eye and there he is. And, and, and he woke up early this morning and, and he's looking straight at my face. <laughs> Don't you love that? <laughs> like three inches away, they're like, oh, hi, are you awake? <laughs> and it's yeah. awesome. It's a, it's a, you know, to be honest sweet. with you, I wish I could w- wake that so sweet. every day. Yeah. Right. And I'm taking these moments because he's going to be a teenager before I know it. And then he's not going to be in there. Dad, who? Yeah. Really, dad? And I, exactly. Yeah, I'm, He'll be down in his bedroom down the hall. So right now like, I'm enjoying it because yeah. he, he wants to be right in my face. Right. And but that's, that's the thing. We have all those power right around us. Right. And within us. And so many times we forget to look right in front of us. And we forget to look inside ourselves when, mm-hmm. when we get down. And, and I think that, you know, for many of us, that's why I'm so excited to do this podcast with you, Tracy. Because um, I think you and I, we have the same ideas, but boy, do we have different ways of getting to them. And, and it's so much fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's so much fun to have these conversations with you because you do come in at another end. I'm like, oh, and, and I know the listeners can't see us, but I'm giving you the hand signs <laughs> when, you, when you got something going. I was like, wow, yeah, that's really, really cool way to look at something. And, 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 well, I, wouldn't right have, back at you. and I wouldn't have come up with it. And, you know, I, 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 and vice versa. So, and, and that's what 
today's podcast, I think, is going to be really interesting. Um, the person that we're going to bring on, and we've talked about this before. Uh, well, first of all, I, I had a thought in my head, and I wanted to share it. I think it's so true. It's not about, life is not about what happens around you and how people are doing things around you. It's how you react to it. Mm-hmm. And we all know those people that are victims. They're like, well, I've had a horrible day and this happened to me and that happened to me. And, and you know, in life, sucky things happen to all of us. Sucky things do happen. Really, yeah. they, and, and to some people, way more sucky things happen. But um, it's how we look at it and how we process it and how we react to it. And yesterday, I was having that day that you're having today. <laughs> and I was like, I just have to get out of this. I, I was like, I have nothing in my life to complain about right now. I mean, seriously, it's just knock on wood. I'm so blessed and so things are going great. So why do I have any reason to be in this like really down mood? So, and I kind of wallowed in it. I'll admit for a few hours last night. And then this morning I got up and I was like, you know, right back at it. I was like, I can't (laughs) go for it. But I, I think we all run into those times, um, when we have had that happen. Um, can I tell you a little secret right there that my boys and I, like Ellie doesn't watch it with us. Um, but when I get into those situations, I make pretend I'm this character and I know Scott and Peter are going to laugh at me, but I really don't care. (laughs) Bear Grylls. Do you know who Bear Grylls is? No. <laughs> so I'm looking at you with this blank stare. You're like, come on, Trace. Like Man versus wild. Right? He gets dropped in the middle of these like deserts oh. in this jungle and he has nothing. And he's got to make it to the extraction point. Right? And he's got to survive. And he teach you, basically teaches you basic survival skills. Well, I'm just having a really light bulb moment. It's kind of like what we're doing with Compassionate Achiever, but for the everyday person, right? The skills that we have to leave a compassionate, successful life, you know, that we're bringing guests on to help us with the help skills. Us. You yeah. and I are not being dropped yeah, no, in. No, 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 no. <laughs> Thank but, God we're not being dropped out there. But he gets dropped in. He's an ex-British special special forces um, person. And, and then he teaches you these different skills of how to, you know, survive in the wild in specific contexts, in the desert, in a jungle, in Asia, and all over the place. And they're, it's they're, very cool. It, it's very cool. And What's so it on? It's a Discovery Channel. Oh, uh, of course. But, <laughs> Discovery has great stuff. But we have it on because uh, I have I'm a cable cutter. I have Roku, so oh, it's yeah. on one of my uh, Roku things. But um, what's really cool is that I think like that. That all right? I'm, I'm Bear Grylls, and I put on that fake British accent. Is, <laughs> I've got to get out of here. Right? It's, this is the time where I can survive this. Right? And, and it gets you bumping. It gets you laughing too because cause you know sometimes they had to now say on the TV show that he stays at hotels because <laughs> he was caught one time. Oh, he was? Uh, as, yeah, not showing it because when the initial broadcast came out, it was like, man, he's out there all the time. No, sometimes he's not he out there all the time, right? And but now Busted. they admit that. But now oh, they well, admit good. that, right? They 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 highlight Full that. Disclosure. But that's like us though too, right? You know, you can only go so far, and sometimes you like you look into friends, like okay, I need help, tap out, right? Right? It's right. You know, going, and, and that's the fun of life, because mm-hmm. those connections, yes. that we need. And we're going to talk about that with our guest oh, today. He's he's amazing, um, and. We're, we're going to 
focus on Christianity and compassion in Christianity but. today, but there's a big but. <laughs> um, it we're we're certainly not trying to push Christianity on anyone, and we're actually going to bring in um, people from various religions. Face, right? Yeah, faiths. Um, so I'm excited to do that. But today, yes, you were. Yes. yes. <laughs> when you brought up his name. I, know. Well, I didn't I'm know you could so, do a back handspring. That was pretty impressive. <laughs> I used to be able to, not so much anymore. Yeah, that would be ugly. Uh, it's a good thing this is only a podcast. And, uh, they just listen to us. But uh, Cliff Connectly, who is our pastor at uh, the church that I go to, uh, Grace Community Church in New Canaan, Connecticut. It's a non-denominational yeah, what do I do for a living talk? <laughs> <laughs> you never know it. Um, a non-denominational church, but based on Christianity. And he is incredible. Cliff can quote more scripture and really makes you understand it, the meaning behind it, more than any person I've ever talked to. Because I'll admit, I am not good at reading the Bible. Um, and half the time when I have tried to read it, I'm like, okay, what did that just say? So I need like the cliff notes of it. No uh, pun intended. Dum, dum, dum. Um, right. What do they call them now? They're spark notes oh, are, yeah. are more popular than cliff notes. I'm dating myself. Which lead to all types of problems anyway. They do. They really but, do. But anyway, I need somebody to kind of explain it. And so when we talked about doing this um, podcast about different faith and how and compassion, I thought he would be perfect. So I, I'm sure he's going to live up to his expectations today. Right. Uh, so I want to bring on Cliff Connectly, pastor of Grace Community Church. And he has a whole uh, television show that he does called Give Me an Answer, which is fascinating as well. Hello? Hi, Cliff. It's Tracy. How are you? Excellent, Tracy. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I just Good. wanted to let you know that um, I am on, we are on the air, um, but we can edit all this out. But <laughs> She doesn't want to introduce me. I do. I do. I want to introduce you to my co-host, Dr. Chris Cook, who is just awesome and so much fun. And this is Cliff Connectly. Um, just I'm so pleased that you're here, Cliff. I really appreciate you doing this today. It's a privilege. Oh, well, I, we were talking the last time about um, who, we, you know, what we wanted to do um, on the show. So we said, wouldn't it be interesting to explore compassion in religion? And we need somebody who is very versed in the Bible and that kind of thing. And of course, your name popped into my head. No, instantly. no, no, no. Let me jump right in here. It just didn't pop. She popped up. I Cliff. did. She like jumped up and screamed your name. So, like, yeah, it was, I got the guy. It was no popping in, 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 in kind of intellectual mental. It was real physical. I just wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to say that. It was. I, I just, you are so impressive the way that you quote scripture and then go ahead for those of us who don't understand it from the scripture, tell us how to really apply it in everyday life. So I just so appreciate you being here. It's Cliff Connectly. I don't even know if I said your last name already, but um, 
You are the pastor at Grace Community Church in New Canaan. You're also the author of four books. I act like I'm telling this to you. I'm really <laughs> telling it to me I, and, and our to, listeners. Yeah, exactly, okay. exactly. Right. We're doing this a little different today, so um, I sound like I'm a little discombobulated, which is most of the time part of the case. But <laughs> no, you're not. Anyway, uh, Cliff is the author of four books, one called Give Me an Answer, Heaven Can't Wait, Help Me Believe Direct Answers to Real Questions, and Give Me an Answer That Satisfies My Heart and Soul. But um, I also, your big thing lately is uh, Give Me an Answer, which is a radio and television show. And Cliff, for years, has been fielding questions about uh, religion and objections to Christianity for thousands of people uh, traveling all over to these different universities around the country, including Harvard, MIT, UCLA, Stanford, and a whole host of others. And you've had audiences with 25 to 500 people, um, and they air these conversations. They're really interesting uh, on his show called Give Me an Answer, and it's also a radio show as well, right, Cliff? I don't know about the radio show, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I think it actually runs. On, I went on your website, and I think it does run on, on some radio shows. But So tell us about how you got started in, in doing that. Well, after graduating from seminary, I went on staff with the InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, which is a university ministry that began at Oxford and Cambridge Universities in England in the 1800s and came over to the United States. And I got uh, real frustrated real fast, because every time I spoke in a dorm lounge or classroom, there were only Christians who showed up. And I didn't want to spend my life telling Christians how to accept Christ into their life. And so I uh, started doing open-air, gosh, 37 years ago, open-air discussions on the beaches of Fort Lauderdale, Florida during spring break, when those beaches were crammed with uh, university students. And I stand up, stood up and spoke and found out real fo- real quickly that people did not want to hear me speak, but they wanted to show me what a fool I was for believing in Christ. And so they started firing good questions, and I loved their questions. And so I scrapped my outline and started dialoguing with them, and afterwards uh, students began to ask me to do that on their campus. So that's how it began. Wow, 37 years ago. That's a very cool idea. And, yeah. well, that's also brave of you because I know many people who go away from Fort Lauderdale during spring break. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you went right Not into the lion's den. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That. So how do you um, start your show? I mean, do you, you know, you said now it's really just a dialogue, but do you start off with a topic or you just kind of open it up to questions? You bet. Two weeks ago at Texas State University in San Marcos, Texas, I stood up beside the Mustang statue there, a beautiful sculpture that they have on that campus, and spoke for five minutes on a topic from a biblical perspective. I choose different topics, be it despair versus hope or loneliness and companionship or um, does God exist or does the evidence show us that God does not exist or does the evidence point to the resurrection of Christ or is that ridiculous to believe that? So I speak on that issue from four, for four to six minutes and then I say that's all I had to say. I thought we'd open it up for question and answer, agreement, disagreement, wherever you guys are coming from. And we hold a two to five hour dialogue. Two to five hours. Wow. Right. Wow. Impressive. So do you find that people, um, you said initially it was just Christians that were showing up to listen to you. Do you find now that it's a real mixed bag, or is, do more Christians show up, or how does that work? 
What's no, it's the... people who are really skeptical. And uh, we are located on a in a highly trafficked spot on campus where the students have gotten permission for me to stand up and hold this discussion, this dialogue. And uh, so you know, at class change time, hundreds of students go filing by, and majority keep just right on walking, but uh, a good number stop and uh, engage in dialogue, engage in discussion. And often professors come to me and say, gosh, Cliff, I, I, I'm, I'm jealous, I'm envious, because the dialogue is so intense and so fascinating and intellectually stimulating. I wish we could get more of that in our classroom. So that's what we're really after. We're really after engaging minds and uh, you know, G.K. Chesterton once said, uh, having an open mind is nothing. The purpose of an open mind, as, an o- as of an open mouth, is to shut it again on something solid. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to be open-minded and examine different options and then figure out what does the evidence point to and which way are we going to f- move. And so uh, on that, Cliff, yeah, I'm very interested in that. And I, I'm the director of the honors program here where we you know, weave in uh, various disciplines into whatever subject matter it may be, right? Everything from music to you know climate change. And I was one of the questions that came up for me when just listening to you is: Has there been a question or a dialogue or that made you see something differently? You know, having that open mind. Um, did you, you know, on these college campuses? Because I learn from my students all the time. It's, you know, you, you, you initially start off teaching like, yeah, you know, I got all this knowledge. And then you get in the classroom like, whoa, okay, I didn't think of it that way, right? And those are the best moments in, in a classroom. Is there something like that that you can share with us that maybe someone, a student came up to you and asked you a question and, and you saw it differently than, than when you had first, you know, started standing there? I think prejudice is intellectual laziness. I don't want to really listen to what another person is saying. I just am set in my own ways. And so prejudice is a very easy way to uh, go through life. I think to be open-minded means to seriously listen and consider what somebody else is saying. And yes, Chris, often people have raised issues that have challenged me to think more deeply, to go into another direction, and to change my thinking on certain issues. So it's been a very stretching, growing time for me personally. Mm-hmm. I bet that. So, you know, our show is called The Compassionate Achiever. How do you find it um, in yourself to be compassionate when people start attacking you? I, I've seen the show, your show before, and, you know, at times people aren't very nice just asking their questions. I mean, it's a very passionate topic, and so people are you know, very passionate about it a lot of times, one way or the other. So when they attack you, how do you find it in yourself to answer those questions compassionately without just, you know, wanting to jump down somebody else's throat? Oh, I am tempted to jump down people's throat on a (laughs) semi-regular basis, and uh, at times I give in to that temptation. But I disagree with the idea that uh, the way to bring about peace is to say that we all believe the same thing, or all one. I think that's to be intellectually dead. Um, I think it's rather clear that we don't all agree. And so now the question becomes, are we going to respect each other enough to agree to disagree and to listen to each other and have an intelligent dialogue, or are we just going to begin to emote, call each other bad, dirty names, and then walk away? I am convinced that when you put your faith in in the one who, as he's dying on a cross, prays for his enemies, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, that you have the essence of tolerance on display there. 
So the closer that I grow to Christ, the more tolerant I have to become. I don't have a choice. If I'm going to genuinely grow closer to Christ, to the one who prayed for his enemies as his enemies are nailing him to a wooden crossbeam, uh, I have to grow to be more tolerant. I don't think tolerance is thanking someone for giving them $100. I think tolerance is includes learning to forgive someone for stealing $100 from you. I don't think tolerance means, oh, you've agreed with me and you've encouraged me and told me what a great job I did. I don't think tolerance is involved there. I think tolerance is when you disagree with me and call me a bad name, am I going to continue to respect you and love you? And so, Tracy, where I draw a resource from is in a relationship with Christ where I experience his love on a daily basis and uh, am trying to learn to allow his love to change my life more and more instead of being... Uh, driven by my ego and driven by I will get you back and embarrass you publicly for the way you just demeaned me. So in following, if I'm going to follow Christ seriously, um, I'm going to have to be forgiving, accepting, and tolerant. And I think that's one of the things I respect so highly about Dr. Martin Luther King, who when he went down and met white Christian racists in Alabama and Mississippi, he didn't say, you know, turn your back on Christ. He said, take your Jesus more seriously. Yeah, and I'm sure at times, as you said, that's very difficult because yes. some of these can become very contentious. Right. right. I mean, um, are there specific, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I'm just so impressed how you always pull scripture. Um, are there specific things in the Bible that are directed at compassion or, or lead to that subject? Absolutely. Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. So obviously he's pointing out that the purpose of life is to love God and to love people. That's why God put us on this planet, to love him and to love each other. Then Jesus tells a parable of the Good Samaritan, which is obviously a direct frontal attack on racism, as he tells how a Jew, a Jew who's beaten and bloodied on the side of the road is helped and served by a Samaritan, and there was all types of racial tension between Jews and Samaritans in the first century. No offense to Washington, D.C. and to the political process, but I'm convinced that the ultimate solution to racism is a change of heart, where we allow Christ to live in our hearts and to give us love for all people, including people of different races, different socioeconomic backgrounds, whatever. And then uh, the scriptures get real direct, that if I say I love God and hate my brother, I am a liar. So if I think I can get away with uh, saying I believe in God and I trust in Christ and I hate you, I am a flaming hypocrite. Hmm. Go ahead. Where you're yeah, I was going to, um, one of the things that, you know, I, I like what you're doing is, uh, Cliff, is you weave in, in different, not just, uh, you know, religion, but also history. And, and, and that, I think, needs to be done more often because when you don't know history how can you possibly learn from it as well right um mm -hmm. and and one of the things i think is important too and is to also it's funny people have said to me that you know, when they've surprised that you know i i'm a religious uh guy that they, they're shocked that that i am because I, I quote so much science and i i'm actually surprised by that reaction I, I don't think there's this tension between science and faith that so many people believe that there is. And I wanted your take on that. Do you, do you weave in science? And, and when and in instances maybe where science and religion appear 
to be, you know, contradictory to each other or conflictual to each other. You know, how do you approach that? Hard science and faith in Christ, faith in God, do not contradict each other at all. What do I mean? Science answers the question, if I put poison in grandma's tea, will it kill her? And science says yes. Science cannot move from what is to what ought to be. So then the next question is, should I or should I not put poison in grandma's tea in order to get the property and money that she has? And science is moot on that question. That is where philosophy, logic, reason, and faith, faith in God, kick in big time. So science tells us what is in the physical world. Yes, if you put poison in grandma's tea, she will die. But it cannot move from is to ought. The question is, ought I to put poison in grandma's tea, or ought I not to put poison in grandma's tea? And that is a moral, theological, philosophical, logical question that a person has to work through. Hmm. No contradiction, two different areas of knowledge. Well, right, and one of the things that with compassion, you know, we define compassion as on the podcast and also in my book as this 360-degree holistic understanding of a problem or suffering of another and then a commitment to address or alleviate that, that suffering or problem. And, and when I talk about the holistic understanding, right, it is not just you know, science, not just policy, not just you know, all the different ways you can possibly see an issue or see a problem, but it also does include morals and faith. And we're going to get to this towards the end of the uh, podcast. So we asked all our guests this. And you know, when, when we're asking you these questions, Cliff, it's, we're also trying to give tools to our listeners about how to use compassion on an everyday basis. And, and one of the things, and I was excited to have you on, not just when, when Tracy went <laughs> berserk, right, just saying your name, and she was so excited to have you on, is that I, I wanted to, to you know, kind of explore those passages where you know, just because you pick up another tool of understanding, be it faith or religion, that doesn't mean you have to drop any other tool, right? You can weave those mm-hmm. tools together in, in, in mm-hmm. life. And, and too many times I've run into people who've, who've said, that, you know, well, you can't, if you have science and you work in the lab, you can't have faith. And, and I'm, I am just, I, I, that does not make any sense to me. Why would you drop one tool that helps you see the world clearly for another that would help you see. I and mean, we think we have things called bifocals right? that <laughs> yeah. help us Trifocals. and prisms, right? Yes. We use prisms now. And, and, and so it, it's, you know, we've been in that mindset. And so that's one of the reasons why we're asking you these questions too, is to have our listeners have tools to help them lead a compassionate life to success, whatever that success means to them. So thanks. Thanks for that. You bet. No, I, um, so what do you say to the person that says, well, I'm, I'm very compassionate, I'm a really good person, uh, I, you know, I follow all of the, uh, you know, biblical verses, whatever, but I'm really, I don't believe in God, or I don't believe in a religion, let's, you know, maybe not even Christianity. How do you, how do you address that with someone? The existence of love is one of the strongest pieces of evidence that there is more to reality than matter and energy. There is some type of God who created us with this innate ability, and every one of us has it. Every atheist, every agnostic, every Buddhist, Jew, Hindu, Muslim, Christian has it. It's an innate human, being, human ability 
to love, which means to work for the well-being of another person. It's a free decision. We don't have to love. We choose to love or we choose to hate. And the existence of love is a really clear piece of evidence that reality is bigger than just matter and energy. If we're just matter and energy, there's no such thing as love. There, there are, there's a sex drive. There's a drive to preserve the genetic pool. There are certain physical drives that we have, chemical drives. And I think all of us experience love. I hope we all have. I'm confident we all have in some form. And we long for it. We all long to be loved to be genuinely cared for, to someone, to have someone in our lives who really is out for our well-being. Uh, I know that my mom and dad did that for me in a powerful way. I know that my wife and children do that for me now in a powerful way, as do many, many friends I'm blessed to have. And I long for that, and I don't think I'm alone in that longing. So the existence of love should help us realize that reality is a lot bigger than just matter and energy evolved to a higher order. Secondly, uh, hopefully we all realize at times that we haven't loved and uh, therefore we need help. Now, if we think we always have loved, um, I guess we don't need any help. We're just uh, a perfect human being. I have met one student. He was a student at MIT who claimed to be morally perfect. Uh, all wow. the students, wow. when he said that, burst into laughter. Uh, I tried to suppress my smile, but obviously we know that's a joke. And I don't think you have to... Uh, watch 60 Minutes with Yehiel Dunur talking about what it was like to stand in front of Adolf Eichmann. Uh, Yehiel Dunur was a survivor of Auschwitz, and Adolf Eichmann was being tried in Israel there for the horrors of the Holocaust. And Yehiel Dunur collapsed in front of Adolf Eichmann, weeping and passing out. And on 60 Minutes, Mike Wallace asked him, what was going through your head? Were you just overwhelmed by the monster who was sitting in front of you? And Yehiel Dunur said, no, I wasn't overwhelmed by the monster sitting in front of me. I was overwhelmed by a very sane, normal man sitting in front of me. But there is a bit of Adolf Eichmann, I began to realize, in each one of us. So that interesting combination of good and evil exists in every single one of us. And all of us who've raised children, I think, have been confronted by more than enough evidence <laughs> that those little tykes can be just as cute and adorable and cuddly as possible, and they can also pick up a truck and smash a buddy over the head with it. So we all are a mixture of good and evil, and that's why we need help, and that's exactly what Jesus Christ offers us through his grace, through his forgiveness, through his power to change and to, be, to remove ourselves from being the center of the universe and to allow him to be the center and then to live lives of love and compassion towards each other. That's the solution, I'm convinced, to the vast majority of problems we face. That's a great answer. So I have a quick question before we move on from the love topic. Um, we've, I know we've talked about this and covered this uh, before on different podcasts, and you go into it extensively in the book, Chris. But um, let's go back to the neuroscience of uh, compassion using the same brain waves as love uh-huh. as opposed to empathy using different uh, brain waves. Right, so right, the, the neural network, when you think empathetically, uh, Dr. Tanya Singer has shown, and people have replicated it now, that uh, people, no matter what culture, gender, that when you think empathetically, you use the same neural networks as pain, as when you're in pain. And when you think compassionately, you use different neural network, you use the same neural network as love. And so, you know, when you're in love, that love is never ending and doesn't burn out, right? And, and so in the past, and since the 1980s, in, from the nursing literature, we had this 
thing called compassion fatigue or compassion burnout. Well, now we know through neuroscience that that's not really true. If anything, you can call it empathy fatigue, empathy burnout, right? And, and so that's what's really interesting, just by the way you frame and think about the world, right? And think in a compassionate way, you actually gain more power, right? And this is the idea of love too, right? When, um, when you and Scott, right? It's a never ending burning love, me and my wife, it's the same thing. Um, and when you're really in love, it doesn't, it doesn't tear you down, it builds you up. Right? And this is what Cliff was saying about his parents and about his, mm-hmm. his wife and his kids. And I think when, you, when you've had that experience of that true love, and not everybody really has. you know, they, I think, unfortunately, there's and more people in the world that don't have that and or so they haven't don't, had it. Yes, mm-hmm. I agree with you, Tracy. And, and I think that when you, 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 we talk about compassion, and we've talked about compassion in many different ways so far. This is our second season now. Right. And we're getting into the religious side, but we've talked on the business side. You know, I've talked from my military days, the importance of compassion. Right. So compassion is strength. Compassion is not this 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 weak um, concept. And even in our brain. Right. Right. The neural networks, the neurotransmitters. And, you know, uh, Cliff was just talking about the neurochemicals, specifically oxytocin. Right. When you think in a compassionate way, you activate the peptide hormone oxytocin which then releases two neurotransmitters called dopamine and serotonin and those things dopamine and serotonin are what kind of like the mixture that 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 drives success in all aspects of life success in personal relationships success in the business field success all the way across the board and it's it's that it's compassion right it's that activates the neurochemicals that cliff was talking about those dominoes that lead us to, I think, a much more meaningful life. I, mean, I don't want to use the word happiness because I think happiness gets thrown around all over the place. I want to talk about meaning, right? Because that, that meaningful and life. fulfilling. Makes, yes, exactly. Yes, not right. just this happy-go-lucky. Yeah. Um, I also want to talk about the idea of, Cliff, when you, you, know, you mentioned having an open mind, and I think that some people believe, and certainly I know people, that you know, they kind of look at love as a a pie. And so you can only love, you know, eight people. Otherwise, you know, once the pie gets too cut up, you have to, somebody's got to let go. How do you address that in religion or in Christianity? Um, And you've, you've touched on it, but I just want to go into it a little further. How do we get people to open up and and listen to other people and and realize that there are different points of view how would you address that well i I think it's clear that we all have rational minds it's part of what it means to be created in the image of god so now the question is am i so pompous and arrogant that i think i've got all the answers to all the difficult questions or am i into learning and growing as a person and if if i'm into learning and growing as a person which is obviously what Christ calls us to do, then I've got to listen, and I've got to learn from everybody and anybody who comes across my path. I've got to be humble enough to admit I don't have all the answers, I'm not all-knowing, and uh, God has blessed me with a mind, and I better use that mind. Um, you know, there are far too many people who think that, uh, that faith in Christ is irrational, and that... Um, when you seriously follow Christ, you're going to have to put up a sign on your wall that says, um, I'd rather be religious than think. 
And that's totally false. When you read the New Testament, you'll notice that Christ is consistently answering questions and asking questions. In fact, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan is in direct response to a man's question. So the idea that I, I am not to search for truth and continue to search for truth is very unscriptural. It's, it's, it's not what Christ calls us to. And that's why that's part of why listening and really taking what people say seriously is uh, so important. Mm-hmm. And I just think we could use so much more of it. I mean, whether you're Christian or whatever it mm-hmm. is, you know, I'm not trying to proselytize here. And we actually are, are going to do another show um, with part of the Muslim group that's on campus here to get their take on compassion. But I, I really want to focus on Christianity. I mean, just as you brought up, the whole political scene right now is just, it's so divisive. And I think, how do we get people to kind of pull together and and realize that we're all in this together? And by having the, such divisiveness is only going to hurt people and not help them. Um, how how do you react to that? How do you get people on board to to be more inclusive instead of exclusive? Well, that's a tricky question, because um, obviously, Tracy, you just were exclusive. You just spoke about some people who are doing it right versus some people who are doing it wrong. And then you asked me, okay, so Cliff, how are you going to teach people to do it right? See, the, the, Good point. You're a, yeah, you're absolutely right. right. Yeah. So what we have to do is we have to acknowledge that every time we make a truth claim, every time we say something is right or wrong, whatever it is, we are making an exclusive claim. We're saying the opposite of what we say is true is false, mm-hmm. or the opposite of what we say is good is wrong. So we have to be honest with each other that uh, we all do have uh, faith positions, we do all have convictions, and, uh, and that's good. We better not just be totally apathetic and totally drifting in a sea of nothingness and meaninglessness. But the second point then is, okay, now, what is the truth that you hold to? Is there a God at the center of the universe who's created us for a purpose, or or are we all accidental collections of atoms? Is truth something I just create in my head, which means it's a taste? Like, do I prefer broccoli to beans? Do I prefer Coke to Pepsi? Well, it really doesn't matter. It's just a taste. Or are there real values like human dignity, like compassion, like love, like the ability to forgive someone who's hurt you wickedly? Are those real and are those true and are those worth committing your life to? Or are they just personal tastes and, you know, sirrah, sirrah? You see, so much of this gets down to, um, is there a God? Is there life after death? If there is no life after death, let's be real honest, Adolf Hitler and Mother Teresa are in the same place. They're the fertilizer pit, they're rotting, and that's it. So if that's true, then ultimately it doesn't matter whether you're Adolf Hitler II or Mother Teresa II. It's just an arbitrary choice. And that gets back to defining things like freedom. Does freedom mean just believing whatever I want to believe? Or does freedom mean grappling with the purpose for which God put me on this planet, understanding that purpose, and then living it out. I mean, you can't play basketball the way I like to, or football, or baseball, or any sport, and just wipe out all the sidelines, and wipe out all the rules. It becomes meaningless. 
And when you wipe God out of the picture, when you wipe Christ out of the picture, everything becomes meaningless. And that's why I, I respect so highly Camus, Sartre, Nietzsche, the atheistic existentialist and nihilist philosophers. They had the guts to realize, yeah, if there, because there is no God for me, life is a crapshoot. It's ultimately meaningless. So why be tolerant? Why, why be inclusive? And I think when you, when you read the Gospel of Christ, you begin to realize that is the most inclu- inclusive, the most optimistic message around that God loves every single one of us, and that God wants every single one of us to spend eternity with him in heaven. I mean, <laughs> you can't get any more optimistic and any more inclusive than that. So that's where I encourage people to think. Well, and, and Cliff, uh, on that note, I mean, you had me thinking. Uh, right, oh, Jay, absolutely. JC uh, was pointing at me because I was I was doing my my gaze out off to the <laughs> off to the side and writing some stuff down. And you know, um, a, a question for you is when um, how to phrase this is a little little difficult. So I'm, I'm going to fumble my way through it here. That when for me one of the intrinsic purposes in in, in life that I see and one of the things that make life meaningful and it. It's not just through my faith, but also through reading Charles Darwin, uh, who, who's, who said something very similar, that compassion, you know, can unite. It can unite the women and men of faith with the women and men that are atheists, right? Because compassion, yep. right, is that all-inclusive, right? <laughs> Except if you're a psychopath. We know that psychopaths don't have the same neural network, um, actually. Uh, it's one of the few things that releasing, anyways, oxytocin and others is a, is a bit of a problem. But, um, I mean, this idea that you can have, I think, a concept, a, 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 an intrinsic purpose, and someone's asked me, you know, you know, where do you draw the line? And I draw the line, I tell them with compassion. That if it's going to hurt somebody else, I don't do it. If it's going to help somebody else, I'll, I'll do it, right? I'll help them in, in, in a certain way. But it's got to be, sometimes helping means not doing something, right? It's just, it's, it's actually holding back at a certain time, to, right, to help them in, in a certain way. Um, and we can have a disagreement over whether that's helping uh, them or not. But I think this idea of compassion can be one of those concepts and, and I wanted to ask you, do, do you, as, you know, as a man who lives it, walks it, is on TV, is on the radio, uh, uh, on faith, um, what would you say to someone who, basically what I just said, that you, know, you can be an atheist and have compassion and still be inclusive of everybody and, and still lead a very meaningful life? What would you say to that? I'd say that every one of my atheist friends is a very compassionate person, and a very moral, altruistic person. So my question for my atheist friend is, why do you think love means so much to you? Why do you think morality means so much to you? Why, the way you live your life, does it show that you cannot buy into relativism? Instead, if someone is very hateful and mean, you look them in the face and say, you should not do that. Uh, you know, and so obviously what I, the direction I'm headed in is, I, I'm trying to... Sh- make the point that indeed there are objective morals, there are moral absolutes, and then the next point would be, obviously the only way there can be a moral absolute is if there is some type of mind prior to the human mind who defines and creates those moral absolutes. And so then you bump back into the character of God, which is an eternal character, nothing before God, 
God is eternal, and his character is good and just and compassionate, and his character defines compassion in a beautiful way. So what would you say to someone who believes in the science of interdependence, that we're all interconnected, and so that that interconnection is one of the reasons why you seek um, to follow those moral imperatives, right? Or, I mean, I'm thinking of Kant now, right? Act in such a way that you can will at the maximum of your action can become a universal law, right? That you are doing it because of the interconnections, the interdependence between everyone and everything, and not necessarily being based on the idea of an all-knowing God. You bet. What I would say would be, yes, there is an interconnectedness that comes naturally to all of us. But by golly, I don't think you have to watch the evening news for too long or just go on to CNN right now and have more than enough evidence that we human beings, by exercising our wills in a highly irresponsible way, fracture that interdependence on a daily, if not hourly, basis with people around us. So yes, it's nice that we have that. We're hardwired to be interdependent. But we have also a free will that can shatter that interdependence in a flash. So what is the best description of why that interdependence is there, why we have the free will to violate that interdependence and that compassion and to be hateful, mean, to divide? And I think that that is why the gospel of Jesus Christ is reliable and why Christ is reliable is because he gives an incredible explanation of that, that indeed we are created in the image of God. We are hardwired to be interdependent. We are hardwired to love each other. But we also have a free will, and we do have a sin problem. And that is what a guy like Yehiel de Noor brings out beautifully when he's you know, standing opposite Adolf Eichmann. I think it's what um, Spielberg is struggling with in Schindler's List. You know, Oscar Schindler did a lot of good things, and the Jewish people have praised him and, and thanked him for that. He also did some pretty corrupt things, and some other people in Europe are not shy about talking about it. So... We all are this incredible mixture of, of, of good and evil. You know, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, as he's lying in a bed of straw in a prison camp in Siberia, comes to the understanding, quote, the line separating good from evil does not run between parties, classes, and countries. Rather, the line separating good from evil runs through every human heart. So it's precious to watch a parent love a child. It's scary to watch a parent abuse a child. Both exist. Both are real. So what's going on? Why is this? What's the best explanation for why this occurs? Hmm. Cliff, I want to ask you uh, one last quick question, and we actually put this out to all of our guests, and there's no right or wrong answer, obviously, and it's not mutually exclusive, but what do you, how do you look at compassion? Do you think it's a, a value, a virtue, or a verb? A value, a virtue, or a verb? Well, I think depending on, on who you talk to, you, some people would say it's, it's all of those. Um, the way I would define it is to love is to actively wish the well-being of somebody else. To actively, not passively. To actively wish, to pray for, to want, to desire, to work for the well-being of somebody else. That's a good one. Yeah, right. we ask everybody that, and I, I just think it's so interesting, the different answers, and, and mm-hmm. that was a good one. That You are just so 
uh, as I said, well-versed on all of this. And I know, you know, we've, we've talked about some difficult subjects here, and I'm sure there's people that would love to have more information about it. Would you want to share with them where they could maybe get in touch with you if they did have questions? I, I know you're at Grace Community Church in New Canaan, Connecticut, but we have listeners all over. Um, is there a way that they could contact you or, or, or maybe not? Sure. You can just go on Ask Cliff on YouTube, or you can go GiveMeAnAnswer.org. That's our website, and a lot of these questions are there. And then you can you can give me a call at, uh, at 203-966-8431, and uh, we can talk. Wow. I love that, Cliff. You are just so open, and just you really do live what you what you try to preach. I mean, practice what you preach. And I really think that you are the epitome of that. And you are such a compassionate achiever. And I just thank you so much for being on today. I really yes, do thank appreciate you, your time. Thank you awesome. so much, Tracy and Chris. Greatly appreciate it. All right. Hope to see you very soon. All right. I'll look forward to that. All right. Take care. Thanks again, Cliff. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Be sure and find us anywhere on your podcast app at WCSU Media. And be sure to join us next time. And we hope that you found tools today again that can unleash the compassion achiever within you so that you can unlock success. <laughs>